It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the Monday edition. Justin Ferguson here in Auburn, Alabama, also checking in from Auburn, Alabama. Our friend Dan Peck of the Dan Peck Radio Network. How are we doing, Dan? Doing all right, Justin. Hello, Justin. Hello, Painter. Hello to the Peck Pack. Painter Sharpless checking in from Parts Unknown. What's going on? Are Corgis the cutest but also the funniest looking dog? Because there are some funny looking dogs that I don't think are especially cute. And there are some very cute dogs that aren't funny looking at all. So but you're the saying Corgi they, is they very the funny Vendigra- looking but still cute. They're the, cent- the, the center of the Venn diagram? Correct. Is what we're saying. Good, good way of putting it. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not as familiar with dog dog breeds as much as other people are. Because, like, when you say funny-looking dogs, like, like where do you stand on dachshunds? Because, like, that's both a funny-looking dog, and I think some of them can be cute, right? Yeah. No, yeah, I would say indifferent. Indifferent. <laughs> Dan looks like he's very deep in thought over there. Well, I, I watch the Westminster every year, especially back when, oh, it, wow. especially back when it came on uh, instead of wrestling. Right in the in the in the nineties, they would preempt they would preempt raw, raw yeah. And they preempt raw every uh, every year. There'd be is the is the is the Mick Foley is the Mick Foley spoiler is that because of the dog show or was that U.S. Open? No, I think that was because uh, they would they were on a to save money back then. I think they would go live and then sca- and the, yeah, were... live and then tape. I think they would tape a show yeah. on a Tuesday or a Saturday night and then air it. Like do do a couple of tapings or something. I don't. Yeah. I don't know the the exact reason. I do know the. I do know that Raw used to get preempted every year for yeah. the dog show, like you said, and and the U.S. Open and tennis when USA Network had it. They should pick at the Westminster. They should pick a breed and as the funniest looking every year. The judges should get together and and decide. Yes, this year, the the Chihuahua wins. Funniest funniest <laughs> look, funniest looking dogs. Of 2023. The way that those dogs walk is inevitably funny, Justin. They do have yes. sweet-looking faces. Right. So what's what's your deal with the corgis? I just saw one walk by recently, and uh, I've never considered having a corgi, but they there's something about them that make me very happy. All right. That's been your uh, it's been your animal talk of, for this week's episode. Hope we're all we're all enjoying enjoying that. Um, to completely pivot here, uh, this uh, we are going to talk here. Uh, the bulk of this podcast, actually, I think all of this podcast is going to be about the weekend Auburn just had in the transfer portal, both on the football side and on the basketball side. So we'll talk uh, the additions of uh, Stephen Sills, uh, the uh, defensive end from Liberty. We will talk uh, Shane Hooks, uh, new wide receiver from Jackson State. And we'll also talk about a new wing that Auburn basketball has gotten, uh, who we talked about in our last uh, premium episode. Um, talked about him a little bit, and then he ended up committing a day later in Chad Baker Mazzara. Um, and we'll talk We'll talk about all three of those guys. But I want to say this up front here at the, the very beginning of the podcast. Um, obviously, a lot of people are, um, you know, focused on – situation going on with uh Jarquez Hunter and there's a lot of stuff I'll just be very clear at the front there's a lot of stuff lying around a lot of rumors a lot of stuff and and I'll say this is the same thing I said when I was asked about it on a radio show last Friday uh it's this if you know anything about the situation it is of an extremely sensitive nature and 
the last thing we want to do is speculate or do anything on that end. What I can tell you is this. Um, Auburn University, the, the, the university office, uh, or the office of the president, like the, the front of Auburn. This is not an athletics thing. This is the university side. Uh, we were contacted by uh, some Auburn reporters, uh, multiple media members, um, on Thursday evening, asked for a comment on the Jarquez Hunter situation. And the response was that there were uh, indefinite suspensions and an investigation going on uh, into um, what is what had been alleged and, and the whole situation. All, like Auburn University is investigating it. And again, if you know what the situation is, you know why we're being very, very careful with, with the wording here in this. Um, later on, there was a, another message sent back to those reporters um, saying, hey, you know, we reached out about the Jarquez Hunter situation. Jarquez Hunter, I wanted to clarify that this wasn't just, you know, like the, the Jarquez Hunter situation. They didn't want to single out uh, anybody in that. Um, so that's all we kind of know. That's all I know. That's all, you know, that I can really say at this, at this moment. Uh, we will see what happens uh, moving forward with it because obviously if you have been online the last few days in any Auburn-related sphere, this is what people have been talking about, and there's been a lot of stuff out there. And like I said, the subject matter of this situation is very sensitive, and the last thing we want to do is speculate or trivialize it and make it just about football or anything like that. So that's all we got. That's why we aren't discussing it any further in the podcast. Now, in the future, if stuff is announced, if anything arises from it uh, that we get any official word on, I'm sure it will be brought up and we will talk about it. But until then, that's what we've got. So let's talk about the news of the weekend uh, from Auburn football and men's basketball, starting off with the transfers pickup. Uh, Auburn getting one on Saturday and on Sunday. Look, we Hugh Freeze last week when we were in uh, Lagrange was saying, "Yeah, we're getting close to the end. We got a guy, you know, visiting right now. We can get a guy visiting this weekend. You know, we're we're heading we're heading towards the end of it." And the guy that visited during the week was Shane Hooks, wide receiver from Jackson State. He committed on Sunday afternoon. Uh, he becomes the Fourth transfer wide receiver Auburn has gotten in this cycle, um, joining Jair Shorter, Nick Mardner, and uh, Caleb Burton the third. Hooks, very interesting career for him. 6'4 receiver, originally from Orlando. Started his career at Ohio. Played a little bit at Ohio, redshirted, and then transferred to Jackson State to play under Deion Sanders uh, at Jackson State. There, his first season, the 2021 season, played six games, had a couple touchdowns. Last season, though, he was uh, it really a big breakout year for him. Um, was Jackson State's one of Jackson State's top receivers. He finished with 66 catches for 775 yards and 10 touchdowns. Uh, so that's five catches a game for about 12 yards a catch, 60 yards a game. Uh, 10 scores. Uh, his touchdowns, let's see, Florida A&M, Mississippi Valley State, Bethune-Cookman, Texas Southern, Alabama A&M had a couple against Southern as well. Big-time player on the outside. He was formally committed to Ole Miss 
adding another fun wrinkle into that rivalry. Formerly committed to transfer from Ole Miss, backed off that commitment, and now Auburn has landed him in the transfer portal. Like I said, Hooks, 6'4", listed at 205. And, uh, you know, if, 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 you, if you're online at all, you can type in Shane Hooks in Twitter and video search or YouTube, and you're going to see some pretty impressive plays from this dude. Uh, making the jump from the SES level to the Power 5 level, formerly playing a little bit at the, at the Group of 5 level. Uh, Shane Hooks at, adding into the mix at Auburn and, and to a wide receiver group that, again, this passing game, the, the amount of size they've added. You know, Dan, your guy, Rivaldo Fairweather, Nick Mardner, um, you know, potentially a bigger role for a guy like Camden Brown. J.R. Shorter's got some good size on him. Obviously, Shane, Shane Hooks does as well at 6'4". This is a group for Auburn where, like, they had some guys coming back in Javarius Johnson and, and, and Coy Moore, their top two receivers, but they weren't necessarily big guys. And, and, and Freeze has, Hugh Freeze has had a lot of tra- uh, experience and a good track record with bigger receivers. They go out and get th- three of these four guys they've got in, this, the, in the portal have been big, bigger dudes. Um, it, just, it just seems to me that this is exactly what they set out to do in the revamp this passing game and, and – and, uh, Hooks is, you know, uh, they're they're at twelve now. They can go three deep at pretty much every all four positions or four deep at three positions, no matter what, you know, depending on which way you look at it. Now, now the numbers Shane Hooks put up this past season at Jackson State really impressive. Like you said, there are some highlights out there. You know, I do want to I do want to be careful because there's probably an exchange rate as far as producing at the FCS level versus moving into the SEC. Uh, but Shane Hooks looks like somebody uh, who is stepping in immediately and, and has the, the potential to uh, really push for playing time among these Auburn receivers based on you know, what we've seen from him uh, so far and, and, and what, what his, his resume says he is. I have a question, though. I mean, so he, mm-hmm. he was at Ohio in 20... He signed, I guess he's class of 18, right? This, this is really yeah. an eligibility question more than anything else, but sure. he was at Ohio. He's high school class of 18, uh, played uh, enough to keep his red shirt, did not see the field in 19 or 20. Was he on the team at Ohio? Did, did he, because that's, that's sort of the, there's a, there's a gap between his year where he saw the field at Ohio and the time he actually, I think, ends up at Jackson State but he seems to only have one year of eligibility left but you have that question with you have that question with players who can utilize the COVID year as to how how much you know whether or not a senior is actually a senior but this guy does seem like he's a one and done so according to Ohio he redshirted in 2018 and then in 2019 his stats uh, are I'm looking at Ohio's website right now. In 2019, he played. 2020, he played as well. Um, it's it's interesting. 26 catches for 515 yards and five touchdowns uh, in 2019 at Ohio. 2020, only played in three games that year. Eight catches for 120 yards. Uh, this is from. Um, let's see. Okay, Jackson State's bio, which is what I was looking at. It's incorrect, at. yeah. Okay, Jackson State's bio says that he did not play in 2019 or 2020. So if that's, if that's where my that, – that would answer some of my questions, that I, I didn't go out and seek a second source. 
Oh, and I, I think I think there's some others that are. Let, let, let me see. He, um, he, yeah, he he. Uh, this is off of CFPStats.com, where the where the numbers I just got. Uh, Ohio has him down as uh, in 2018 playing in the four games to get him redshirted. 2019 playing in all 13 games, making one start uh, with those five touchdowns. 2020 only played three that year and then ended up transferring to 2021. So the Jackson State thing is wrong. And I think that has been – somebody tweeted at me um, about the Jackson's – about, you know, hey, what was he doing in, in 19 and 20? It's just – Yeah, no, it's that's incre- that's where that's where that comes from. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at reference now too. And college – you know, sports reference has – stats from his first three years at Ohio and then he spent two years so this is someone who spent 18 19 and 20 at Ohio 21 and 22 at Jackson State and is now utilizing the extra COVID year Mm -hmm. his his sixth year of college football correct okay correct um so hooks 6'4", 205, a solid group of five. That, that 2019 season, really interesting for him because uh, he was Ohio's um, second – no, you know, number two receiver. Uh, he had the most touchdowns of any wide receiver on the team that year. Um, see, so he had 96 yards against Louisiana Lafayette. So there's a little familiarity there. Um, with some of the coaches on Auburn staff, or at least one defense coordinator on their staff. Um had a huge game against Northern Illinois, big game against Akron as well, uh, on a team that went to a bowl game and won that bowl game, beat Nevada uh, that season in 2019. And he committed to Ole Miss uh, shortly after jumping into the portal back in the uh, – that was the middle of April. Decommitted about a week later uh, from the Clarion Ledger uh, when he was in the portal before his commitment to Ole Miss. Old Dominion, Cincinnati, uh, UNLV uh, were some of the other schools. There was also – uh, some speculation that Deion Sanders uh, wanted him uh, to join the uh, the party at Colorado uh, before he decided to go to Ole Miss. I don't know who was recruiting him this time around, but it's a nice pickup, like you said, for an mm-hmm. Auburn. And it really shows when Hugh Freeze was talking about his desire to add wide receivers during the spring. It wasn't just hot air, right? Like this guy right. went out. This guy went out and added three guys that looked like they could be. You know, they they could be competing from the moment fall camp mm-hmm. begins. They could be competing to be starting wide receivers, it, and, that, and that's know, on top on top of Nick Mardner, who who right. they recruited earlier in the uh, in the off season. Yeah, so like, like I said earlier, like they had Javarius Johnson back, they got Coy Moore back. There's some other guys like you know people like Jay Fair's upside, Omari Kelly, Malcolm Johnson Jr. If he can stay healthy, is 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 another one people keep an eye on for sure. But like the thing about all those guys is that they're on the they're on the smaller end. Yeah, Cameron Brown, like can Cameron Brown take that step forward this year? As a lot of people, as a lot of people were wondering. But no Zay Capers anymore. No Landon King. They need some size for for sure. And you know, in Jair Shorter, a guy who was just a crazy good big play threat. And then now you get a guy in Shane Hooks who is a possession six four go go up and get it type of wide receiver. So you got Shane Hooks, Marner, um, Cameron Brown, kind of all in that mold. And then you got. You know, a group that's going to have, I think, you could have Shorter and then Coy Moore, um, Malcolm Johnson, you know, some of those guys. And then you have your more slot guys, Javarius Johnson, Caleb Burton. Like, there's a good mix there. It's not like they're having to, you know, build this offense around, okay, well, we've got, 
these undersized receivers, you're going to have to do undersized receiver things. As we've talked about throughout this offseason, if you go back and look at Hugh Freeze's track record and also um, Philip Montgomery's track record, but especially with Freeze, big receivers. I mean, everybody knows the DK Metcalfs of the world, but you you know you got like Dante Moncrief. Uh, you, you've got the, the the versatile you know tight end guys that they moved around like um, Dawson Knox, uh, uh, Evan Ingram, and then like you know you've got. Um, Laquan Treadwell, like it's just there's a good track record. The majority of his best receivers at Ole Miss were bigger guys, and Auburn just didn't have any of those. Not any, but they just didn't have very many of those guys, established guys. And now they've got dudes who have at least done it at this level before, at the meaning the post college or post high school level. Not to mention the receivers that he recruited his final year at Ole Miss that he didn't really get to uh, to coach. Right, that's the DK Metcalf and. Um, who's the uh, oh? There's there's two Ole Miss receivers. I think they both have initials in their names. Uh, that that came, that came out the same same year, and they both went and played for Hugh Freeze only for a year. It was towards the end of his tenure there. Now they're both in the NFL. Big catch radius threats at wide receiver. I mean, this is a it's a really interesting group that the Hugh Freeze has brought in at wide receiver. I'm I'm interested to see where the you know where, how the, when the dust settles, who's playing where? Uh, Justin, I, I hope you're on board with with Colin Philip Montgomery, Philly Gun, because <laughs> I do I do think this is an offense that I mean looks to be certainly compared to the last few years of Auburn football, pretty wide open and pretty fast paced, regardless of who's playing quarterback. But if it's somebody experienced like Peyton Thorne, you know they they could trust them to. To, to really push the tempo and, and get some of these these new threats involved yeah this is a uh this is the type of well-rounded passing game on paper that you wanted to have now here's the thing about this team and i think you know we'll have some of the same discussion when we talk about Auburn basketball later is that can these guys make that step forward and start doing this at, at an sec level who knows but you got to have the dudes, right? You know, you got to you got to have it. It's not like you can invent these guys. Like, it would be great if Auburn had these established, bigger SEC receivers. They got a couple guys that have that have played well. But when you're going to try to stretch the field vertically, horizontally, you want to make some big plays. You want to you want to go up and get it. You want to get some you know physical guys on the outside. You don't have that. The best thing you can do in the meantime, while you try to build it, while you try to go get the you know the Cam Coleman's and the um, you know the the Ryan Johnsons um, or Ryan Williams, sorry Ryan Williams of the world in the in the recruiting it. While you're trying to build that up, in the meantime, in the short term, you got to knock it out in the in the transfer portal. So we will see if these guys are ready for prime time in, in the SEC. But um, this is this is all about establishing year one. A lot of these dudes. With the, with the exception of Caleb Burton, these dudes aren't going to be around for another year. This is what can they do to help you set the tone in 2023. And Javarius Johnson and Coy Moore have played a lot of college football, and it's reasonable to think that they're going to factor in in the rotation or even even keep their starting jobs. There was excitement about Camden Brown throughout last season, and, and some of that carried over into the spring this year. But it's understandable that Auburn would want more than three players at wide receiver that they feel great about at the moment. And that's not to discount some of the other options in in the in the room, but you could understand why it was a priority to add starter level talent, multiple guys 
uh, to, uh, to to this to, to this roster, and Hugh Freeze and his coaches seemingly have done exactly that. Yeah, it, this this is a wide receiver room that I think has the potential to make some noise this year. We talked about uh, Friday mailbag. Somebody asked me, "Hey, what's the potential of a guy like Peyton Thorne?" This, let's say Peyton Thorne is your starting quarterback this year. If you look at his numbers in the past, you can look at how often you know Freeze and Montgomery throw the ball. You look at what Auburn's got. You kind of move that around a little bit. You could see where this quarter a quarterback like Peyton Thorne. If he plays like he did at Michigan State, even if you tweak it a little bit, um, you know, with the learning curve and all that, it's about twenty seven hundred to you know thirty three hundred yard season, twenty twenty five yard uh, passing touchdowns. Like that's the type of season one could reasonably expect if he is the starting quarterback, just based on what he's done in the past. If he does that, awesome. I mean, it's it's one of the best passing seasons we've seen at Auburn. Uh, period. Not just in a while, but period. Uh, on top of that, though you got to have those guys to go out and make it happen. And so it's going to be a lot of learning. It's going to be a lot of, like, meshing in with with these players. Um, but, you know, this, these guys are experienced, you know. Uh, Peyton Thorne played two years at Michigan State, started two years at Michigan State. Several of these guys that Auburn's gotten in the transfer portal, these wide receivers are guys that have played a lot of football. They've even bounced around in you know, and have done transfers before. And it's just, hey, let's get an opportunity to play at the SEC level, play at the Power Five level, and see if you can get it, get noticed that you can play football professionally and and and, and do that do that long term. Like that's that's the hungry type of player that you're getting, and might not make for a championship caliber season, might not make for a championship tradition right away, but it could help you set the tone. But it's vitally important to point out too that that the the reason there could be drastic changes because not only have they gone out and maybe added a starting quarterback, maybe added four new options among the top seven at wide receiver, but also because there look to be maybe four new starters on the offensive line. And that that drastically, because if, if they had not addressed the problem on the offensive line and they'd added a quarterback and they'd added some wide receivers. I think it would it would still it would be difficult to feel optimistic mm-hmm. about the chances of the offense. But when you beat out big time programs to get two tackles, like the two tackles Auburn added this offseason, plus Jaden Muskrat, who might be a tackle but profiles as a guard. I mean when when could you be think a about guard, yeah, could be, could be a starting it. guard. I mean it could be four new offensive lineman and Jeremiah Wright starting opening day at at the offensive lines positions and that could mean on top of everything else Auburn has done that opens the door for serious improvement in year one under Hugh Freeze yeah it's a lot of guys that are at the group of five level FCS level and with with hooks looking for a shot and like they're going to be fighting and when you're building a new team and you're trying to bridge the gap between the past and what you would hope is a better future where, you know, everybody knows one of the big reasons why Hugh Freeze is here at Auburn is because, you know, the people in charge thought that he can recruit and, and get that and get that talent long term. But and he and he got, you know, guys in as quickly as you know, you think about the short turnaround they had from the hire to, you know, that December signing day. 
you get guys like Keldrick Falk and Kay and Lee and guys that like are big name players, but you can't build a whole roster that way. And now that you're in the portal era, you get dudes that right now, can you bridge? These are bridge type players. They're only going to be here for a year or two. You know, some guys like Caleb Burton or um, uh, uh, DeMario Tolan at linebacker will be here longer term, you would think. But get these one- or two-year rentals and just say, hey, can you help us get to where we want to be? Get get all like Put the product out here and say, hey, this is what this offense is going to look like. These are what these players are, you know, this is what the, the offense you've got um, – out on the out on the field, and then you you send that message to your fans. You send the message to the recruits. It's like you want to be a part of this. Are you excited to see what this? Is? Now imagine what this looks like when they, these guys are four and five stars coming out of high school, and they develop and they grow in here. Like that's the pitch, but you got to do that with 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 people that you have right now. And it, you know, in lieu of in the lieu of any other option, you go into the transfer portal, you get what you can get, and then you try to try to you know, it's a mutually beneficial proposition. You come help us set the tone. We'll try to help you get to the NFL, or you know, get you a shot, get you a shot at the next level somewhere. That's it's as good of a trade off for for both sides as you can get at this point. The other football transfer is on the other side of the ball, and that is the pickup Auburn got. Steven Sings. Steven Sings from Liberty. Uh, sorry, I have to I have to be clear here because it's not just Steven Sings. It's Steven Sings the fifth. You got a you got a five there. Not not very many not very many uh not very many fives going around. Not very many of the fifths uh out there these days. So you gotta you gotta give credit to when when they pop up. Now, I don't want to be a stickler about this, but I, I saw recently a situation, I forget if it was during a college basketball game or an NBA game, where there was a player who was the fourth, but his brother was the third, and his older brother was the second. Like, they, they'd sort of cheated that way. Now, is Steven Sings fifth generation, or is this a guy with, like, three siblings who also have the same name? Because it takes a little bit of the shine off it, right? If you if it's the George Foreman way of yes. getting your of, of yeah, getting it's your supposed George to Foreman. be generational. Yeah, I mean you can do it. That you 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 look name your kids whatever you want, right? I'm not not uh, I'm not the police here in in this regard, but uh, <laughs> I do not have the name police badge yet. Um, oh, name police. But uh, no, I think uh, it's uh, just out of curiosity. Do we know? Do we know if Stephen Sings is in fact? A fifth generation so, Stephen Sings. So, according to his bio on Liberty's website, his father's name is Stephen Sings. So, it's at least hereditary. Now, do we know if his father is Stephen Sings the fourth? The fourth? No, I, I do oh, not. Know okay, that. all right, all right. I don't well, know that. The investigation can. The investigation continues. Painter, would you would you name your kid a a, a junior or whatever? Because you're named after you're named you're named after your father, right? I don't know if I'll pass Kenneth on, but I I've always liked the name Ralph, which is my grandfather's name. So maybe I'll go there. Ralph. Like I want you to bring in a child into the universe in the two thousands. In the in the twenty twenty twenties, thirties, whatever. And I want you to name him Ralph. And I want I want to see if you can have the last Ralph. <laughs> like, very very World War II era for sure. <laughs> Wait, so Ra- Ralph you might is, have the last Ralph like in in existence. Ralph is first we of all making those. First of all, Ralph is not short 
for something. I guess I don't know what it would be short for, but it's just yeah. a five letter. Yeah. Not like Ralph Bolomew <laughs> or uh, so, so Raphael. So the uh, all right. So so and then so that's your grandfather's name. Is yeah, Ralph? my grandfather's okay. Ralph, and then my dad is Kenneth, and I'm also Kenneth. But we don't share the same uh, middle name, so not a junior, I guess, is how that works. My my dad is Alan uh, Al to uh, pretty much everybody. My grandfather, who uh, passed away earlier this year, lived a long, full life, uh, 94 years old. Uh, Earl Earl Peck. Uh, No no middle name. Earl Peck is a great name. Yeah, the one syllable names is a nice touch. And I mean, there aren't there aren't a ton of Earls anymore. There was uh, my granddad, Earl Peck. There was Earl Sweatshirt. The uh, member of uh, Odd Future, who I believe was, I believe, I believe went missing, as the story goes. Right, he was the he was the one from Odd Future who vanished, and uh, and found. I think we found. Yeah, Earl Sweatshirt. A, yeah, yeah, Earl Sweatshirt was the. They one. sent him off to boarding school. Yeah, and they and they were dropping clues about Earl Sweatshirt being gone in the in the music and stuff. But uh, no, I think uh, I think yeah, both. I, I the the my my dad and my grandfather, I think both had real solid, real solid men's names, and uh, and and some I, I could see myself passing either of them on. By the much way, more, Ralph, much more so than Daniel. I mean, that's my middle name. So wow, you know, that, yeah, I can. I we've can. Got, I've forgotten that we've got the double Dans on the podcast. Yeah, two Daniels on. Uh, Ralph, by the way, uh, is a male name of English origin derived from the Old English word blah blah. blah. Um, but uh, it means wolf council, which right. is pretty sick. If, if you have that, <laughs> like that's who is the most famous Ralph. This is the most famous Ralph that still is like living. I can't think of any like people whose names are actually Ralph that are famous. I can just off the top of my head think of the character from Christmas Story there's, who's Ralphie. There's Ralph Macchio, right? Oh, the yeah. karate, karate Kid. Yeah, uh, yeah Ralph, Ralph Macchio. Macchio. Um, okay, okay. Ralph Ralph Lauren's still alive. Yeah, mm. yeah. So that, he's mm. probably the most famous Good call. Ralph. Um, Rolf is the piano playing dog on the Muppets. He's he's pretty famous. <laughs> and the and the kid on Ed, Ed and Eddie. Uh, let's I've see. forgotten about that. King Ralph is the John Goodman oh. comedy from thirty years ago, where the entire royal family uh, perishes in an accident, and an American. I think he's like a lounge singer, but it turns out he's the he's the living. I got like two. He's, got, he's the guy with the lineage to become the king of England. And I got it's about two. John Goodman being the king of England. I got two contenders for you right here. Uh, I always get his name wrong. Is it? You pronounce it Ralph Fiennes? Rafe Fine. Oh my God! I, I think would have never. I think had it's that. Rafe. I think it's Rafe Fine. Maybe it's Rafe yeah, it Fine. Is. Yeah, it's Rafe. Why is it Rafe? Now, is the last name? Do you say the S on the last name? Because that's the one I'm not sure about. I think it's Rafe Fine. Okay, Fiennes. it's Ra- Rafe Fines. Rafe Fiennes. Okay. Okay, so yeah, Ralph Fiennes, uh, spelled the same way, R A L F, uh, or I'm sorry, I R A L P H, uh, and then um, Ralph Nader. Those are our those are our two those are our two contenders. And then Ralph Sharpless comes into the world and and, and runs and runs and really the thing. starts making things happen. <laughs> I guess Ralphie is the character from A Christmas Story, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah, would yeah, also he be he's, he's he's in the ballpark. <laughs> All right, so Stephen Sings, uh, the fifth, um, no shade to him or his or his parents. Even it's Dan's fault if if you know we get in trouble with with the Sings family. Um, Stephen Sings played his last three seasons at Liberty, originally from uh, North Carolina. Um, he's an interesting case. It looks like he would have two years left to play, 
it looks like. Um, he played in the 2020, 2021, and 2022 seasons. He had a red shirt uh, there. He only played in the 20 season. He only played four games, which uh, qualified. He would be able to get a COVID year if he wanted it. Um, so he's an interesting pickup. But, yeah, uh, Steven Sings, uh, the fifth, uh, you look at his, you look at his track record at Liberty. He was a, more, he was a rotational piece for them at defensive end. I'm looking at his, uh, his, his snap count last season at pro football focus. He had one game where he played 40 snaps. He had another one played 32, but the rest of it, you know, high teens, twenties is kind of where where you had statistically, uh, in his career at Liberty last season, um, Three and a half tackles for loss. All of those were sacks. He had three tackles for loss in 21, three tackles for loss in 2020. Combined 48 tackles across his um, three seasons at Liberty. So this is not a uh, it's not a Jalen McLeod type where you're getting a guy that is just this big statistical like came off of a great uh, pr- productive year. This is instead with with Steven Sings. This is hey Auburn could use another edge rusher, another guy that. Um, you know, can get can get after the quarterback and get into the backfield. He's listed. Uh, he he was listed last season at six three two fifty five. Defensive end um, played uh, all of his snaps last season. Looks like yeah, it looks like all of his snaps last season came where he was standing up at, at Liberty. He was coached uh, by Jeremy Garrett, uh, who he tagged in his announcement. Josh Aldridge as well, being a linebacker backers coach. There's some familiarity there. Um, he projects out as a jack at Auburn, so this is another jack pickup that they have in a brand new position. And we we've talked about this for a minute now, uh, Dan. Like Auburn just needed more guys. Like Jalen McLeod was a great pickup to have with with his production and his versatility. Uh, Elijah McAllister's got experience. I think Steven Stills and Elijah McAllister's got a lot of, a lot in common. Played a decent amount of football. Stills a little bit more productive, but also coming from the FCS. Oh, I'm sorry, not the FCS level. The uh, the independent level. Um, uh, FBS independent under under at Liberty, and then you got Keldrick Falk uh, who could have a big freshman year, and then uh, and then Brenton Williams as well at the Jack spot. You just needed another one, and they get it in a guy that has that familiarity um, with this coaching staff. I think you called him Stephen Stills a couple of times. There. I did. That's that's, that's that's the guy from Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Is yes. Stephen Stills. Uh, but the uh, uh, st- now, now sings. We we had a discussion on a different podcast about how many snaps the Auburn defense imagines Jack linebackers or, 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 or if it's a defensive end, how many snaps per game they'd want available on that defense? Is it Do they want two on the field at the same time? Is it exclusively a, a one-man sort of job? They, they have more options now with a player like Sings in the fold. They added McLeod, who you mentioned, and then you've also got in-house options like the incoming freshman, Keldrick Falk, Elijah McAllister, maybe Cam Riley, Brenton Williams was name-checked a couple of times. So they've they've added to the list of options they have depending on certainly what they want to do on third and long or on pass-specific downs because now you, you seem to have added some pass-rushing specialists to a team that you know needed to, needed to figure out what they were going to do in the aftermath of Derek uh, you know, Derek Hall, Eculiota, Colby Wooden, all going to the NFL. Yeah, this is a position group where, again, like we talked about it, let's see, a week or so ago, Dan, I think it was last week's podcast where you were, where we were talking about like the the games that were going to define the season, like 
how well they do in those two or three games would be kind of the tone setters for the year. I think positionally a tone setter for Auburn is going to be just how much pass rush they get from these guys because it is a brand new group. You were going back from, you know, with Derek Hall and Eculiota, and then you add in a guy like Colby Wooden who was a good edge rusher for a guy who was a, a bigger dude or a good pass rusher, I should say, for a guy who was a bigger dude. He, he's got the, uh, he's got the, I'm sorry, he's got the versatility that you can kind of move him around up front, meaning, meaning, uh, sings. You could you know, put his hand in the dirt if you, if you wanted to, he can move around just like McLeod can kind of be a, you know, a linebacker can move him around kind of on the box and stuff like that. But, um, this group, like how productive can they be? with Keldrick Falk and McLeod can like can they get enough because it may be overly simplistic but one of my core and if you've listened or read or read anything I've, I've ever done in the past like you may have heard this or seen this my core one of my core beliefs about football is is like if you if you want to be great if you want to win a lot of games if you want to be better than expected in this case for Auburn you got to do more with less in the pass rush because it changes everything about the game. If if my four can beat your five, six, or seven, it changes it changes the whole thing because the game is set up for the offense to beat the defense. The offense knows where they're going. The defense does it. The defense has to react. So if you can flip the numbers game with your pass rush, that's what changes things for Auburn. And of course, a guy like Ron Roberts is famous for mixing things up, doing different things with his pressures and his and his and his sims and, and and dropping dudes back in coverage and all that. But like, that's a big thing this year. Like, how good is this Auburn defense going to be? Potential to be pretty good. But what's going to really determine their ceiling? Much like those games we talked about uh, last week. What's going to determine their ceiling is can this rebuilt pass rush do enough to affect quarterback to, to affect the quarterbacks um, and 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 kind of be a game changer? Because that's that's how you win football games on the defensive side of the ball. That it is off. It is the offense's world. You know, and, and to sort of reverse engineer that theory, like the one of the things that makes the great quarterbacks great is the way they handle the blitz. And so you can't constantly plan to blitz against sophisticated uh, passing offenses with veteran quarterbacks because that's that's one of the things that I mean if if you you know, if you leave holes in your offense or you leave holes in your defense for the quarterback to find, the great ones are going to find it. And that's why finding ways to rush the passer with as few guys as possible, but winning the matchups on the defensive line, like that's crucial because you need, you need all hands on deck in coverage against modern passing offenses, especially the best ones that you face if you're trying to win a championship. And uh, it seems like Auburn has found some some players that can maybe help them uh, give give their defense a chance. Yeah, it's just how effective are they going to be? Sills is a guy that rotational player who has played for several coaches on this staff, and so you think he would be able to kind of plug in and 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 get in the rotation or give you something right away. Jalen McLeod, for an undersized guy, was extremely efficient last year, but he's making a jump up in competition. Elijah McAllister played in the SEC, but hasn't been a guy that's played, uh, you know, made a ton of sacks in his career, tackles for loss. Can he take that step step forward? And then, then it's like, hey, is a, is a guy like Keldrick Falk? Is he going to be ready to roll early on? And that's what's going to determine. And of course, 
Cam Riley, other guys that you have at linebacker in some of these other spots are going to be defensive backs going to get involved in the pass rush as well. Defensive line definitely is. Um, but it's just, can they do enough? Because if Auburn doesn't, if Auburn doesn't have enough guys getting after the quarterback on a regular basis, you can have a really strong secondary. You can have a stronger point of attack when you're trying to slow down the run. But in today's game, if you give that quarterback enough time, somebody's going to get open. That's just how it is. And so Auburn's got to be able, like, this is a piecing it together type of pass rush. And as I've said recently, Ron Roberts is the defensive coordinator who can make the most out of this type of situation. Ideally, you want a team of Keldrick Falks and you want a team of, you know, top tier guys. You want you want more Derek Halls at your disposal. You want more Colby Woodens and, and, and Marlon Davidsons and Derek Brown. That's what you want long term. In the meantime, can you piece together it's like we were talking about on offense, Dan. Can you piece together enough on offense to show, hey, this is what this is going to look like. Do you want to come be a part of it because you're really, really good right now and you're going to be the type of player we want to build around for the future? And so it's about can you establish in year one, lay the foundation, build the bridge, the blueprint, whatever you want to call it. And depth is so crucial on the front seven. I mean, I, I think I think back to last year, and I harp on this game a lot, but going into the Arkansas game, I was as pessimistic about Auburn's chances as I had been for an Auburn home game in a really long time. And when I went on an Arkansas show and talked about why, I'd pointed to the fact that Auburn only played three defensive linemen the previous week. And it's like you're, you're walking into a, you know, a deep fryer if you're going go to you're gonna try to play Arkansas with, with that kind of limitation and that little depth on your defense and maybe these aren't players and, and I don't know you know with 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 someone like Sings how many snaps you can realistically ask out of him per game but you're piecing together a defense and you've you've absorbed some losses you've had some defensive linemen go into the portal which happened under the previous administration the question was you know where are the replacements where are the guys that you bring in who who help uh, you know who help help fill that need, and Hugh Freeze has addressed that in a way that, you know, just thinking back to where this roster was when the season ended, it's it's remarkable the work they've done addressing a lot of the most pressing questions. They're making the best of the situation, and I think they've gone above. Like somebody asked me in the mailbag this past week, do you think Hugh Freeze has, has exceeded expectations, met him, or under? It's all about. In terms of the stuff that we can judge right now, which is inheriting a roster and then doing the most you can to rebuild it in a short amount of time, he's exceeded expectations. Nobody's signed this many recru- you know, recruits before, uh, transfers before of this caliber on the offensive line. Uh, our friend uh, Christian Clemente pointed out on Twitter, uh, Twitter today, Auburn with the, the commitments that they got uh, with the commitment of uh, Hooks on, on Sunday in the transfer, they now have the number two class, the number two transfer class in the country. Um, and it's 20, I think, now they're in the portal. But um, the big thing there for Auburn is that Colorado's the only team in front of them. And of course, cause Colorado's flipping their entire roster. Um, so for Auburn, it's you've made, you've made the most you can out of this spot. Could you have gotten some other players? Did you get everybody you want, wanted? Sure. Like, yeah, you didn't, you didn't get every, every single player you wanted in the portal. 
Um, that's just never going to happen. Uh, even Georgia and Alabama on the high school trail in Ohio State, they missed out on guys that they that they wanted. Um, but for Auburn, it's they have done a really really good job of flipping this roster. Is it championship caliber? No. Is it a it, you know unless they get really really hot and and exceed expectations, it's going to be a team that you know you you you're 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 bridging the gap. But as we talked about recently, this is a team that's. This is a team that has not recruited well the last couple of cycles. It's also a team that has had a losing season each of the last two years. So success and moving forward is just, for the first time in a while at Auburn, success is def- success this year we would define as, can you win more games than you lose? Because if you do that, that's step one. You asked that question kind of rhetorically there, is this a championship roster? And I find myself saying, well, maybe. Like, let's find out. Like, let's go. Let's, let's see him on the field. And, I mean – Probably not. I mean, compared to what the best rosters in college football look like coming into this season. But I was also a probably not on LSU winning the West in Brian Kelly's first year. And while I recognize it's a different situation, I really want to see what this team looks like after a couple of weeks. Because if things line up, I mean, I we, we ran through some scenarios uh, in, in a previous episode of, of how the season could go, but... I mean, there aren't there aren't that many games on paper where Auburn looks hopelessly overmatched compared to the, uh, the you know on, on the schedule. That's not the. I mean, it, the number is non-zero, but there are you know. The, but it's not like there are a lot of games on the schedule where it looks like Auburn's going to have a hard time. All right, before I switch over to basketball, real quick, as we were recording this, as we were recording this, uh, there's some chatter online uh, about Cyrus Dumas. Dumas, the uh, the defensive back from New Mexico State, um, there I believe on three reported that he is uh, committing uh, that he's committed. He will be at Auburn on Monday. It looks like for his official visit. Nothing seems official on like Auburn's end yet. Uh, there has been been some chatter, been some staffers tweeting about it. So keep an eye on that one. So we haven't talked about Dumas yet. Um, that might be official. Monday. It might be official by the time you hear by by the time you're listening to this. But keep an eye. That could be another one. We talked about Auburn potentially getting another defensive back uh, in the portal. They've got a little bit of space left. Keep an eye on that one. Um, so there's a little note there of, of you know why we haven't mentioned this because as we were recording this, there was some chatter about it, but nothing that's been made official yet uh, from Auburn or from from Dumas yet. So like I said, it, it potentially will happen. Before we do that. First off, uh, I want to thank everybody who uh, was a part of the EDSPS Charity Bowl last week. Uh, Auburn, uh, it, Auburn had a pretty good showing this year. Um, not as not as high as they've been in the, in the past, but still a solid showing after what was a slow start. Uh, but raising money for um, the the great work that's done by New American Pathways uh, in Atlanta, uh, helping uh, refugees get settled in the United States. Uh, really, really good, good stuff uh, there, and uh, they broke their, they set their uh, uh, overall goal pretty high, and they hit it, seven hundred thousand uh, dollars. Spencer Hall now has to play a round of golf in um, really baggy jeans, which should be a lot of fun to see. And uh, but yeah, really, really cool stuff. So as as we did it, as we've done every year with it, um, those of you who donated uh, and sent a receipt over of, of your donation, you got some free. Uh, time added to your observer account and then all the money we got last week from 
uh, new subscriptions went directly to New American Pathways. So really want to appreciate everybody for doing that. If you want to subscribe to The Observer, if you want more of this podcast, you want all of our newsletters. i got a basketball newsletter coming tomorrow. i got plenty of stuff coming out this week. I'll be hitting the road uh, again on Monday uh, to talk to uh, another coach. So there'll be some stuff coming out from that. AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there. $6 a month or $6 a year. We email everything to you. There's links in the description of this podcast. There's buttons if you get the email. Really, really easy to sign up and uh, make it happen. You get all the podcasts. You get all the newsletters uh, sent straight to you. Painter, friends of the program, back this week, right? Yeah, we should have an episode out Wednesday, and we're doing a little bit different of a show. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, It was Dave's idea, so that'll be fun. I don't even know what it is, which usually gets me in trouble when it comes to friends of the program, but uh, I am looking forward to finding out what that is all about. Uh, But, yeah, uh, that's how you can support us if you like the show and want more of it, you want to read uh, along with what you get here through your ear holes, AuburnObserver.com. There's another way you can help us out. Painter, tell them about it. Rate, review, subscribe. Takes like 20 seconds. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us five stars. Leave a line or two. You can make it longer if you want. Some people like to have fun with it. We don't care. We just want you to rate, review, and mash the subscribe button. Spotify, you can uh, you can rate and you can follow the show. There's no review to be left at Spotify. But I know a lot of you are like us and probably use both apps. So we'd appreciate it if you would leave a uh, review and subscribe. And if you can leave a review, of course, please do so. Also, shout out to our friends at Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com, the number one place to get collegiate apparel with the best vintage logos you're going to find anywhere. A lot of good Auburn stuff, Auburn baseball, Auburn basketball, Auburn football, and just general Auburn designs all up on their website. New drop this week, Tuesday, 9 a.m. Central, God's Time, a new Auburn dad hat. I've seen it. It is, if you were a fan of the baby blue uh, powder blue design with the with the baseball Auburn script in the in the navy and white. That's the dad hat that Homefield is dropping on Tuesday. Tuesday, nine a.m. Those things go out. Those things sell out quick. Uh, a lot of their limited drops sell out quick. So if you want the uh, Auburn dad hat from Homefield, jump on that. You can also buy the official Auburn Observer T-shirt if you like our logo and say, "Hey, that's a cool logo. I wish I had that on a shirt." Go to homefieldapparel.com. Search, search Auburn Observer and buy your Observer t-shirt. All right, let's wrap up here with uh, some talk about Auburn's new pickup on the basketball uh, front. And, Dan, we talked about this guy in our last podcast. You brought him up. You mentioned him. Um, I'm going to let you bat lead off here. The floor is yours. Auburn getting a commitment uh, and signing uh, transfer wing Chad Baker Mazzara, go. That's right. Nor- Northwest Florida State, uh, the uh, college, the, the two-year college in Niceville, Florida, not not too far from Niceville High School. Used to be called Okaloosa Walton Community mm-hmm. College and then Okaloosa Walton College. About 20 years ago, uh, Okaloosa Walton Community College had a player, uh, Kedrick Brown, drafted in the first round of the NBA draft straight out of the community college, which doesn't happen very often. And then just a couple of years ago, uh, Chris Duarte, Mm -hmm. the player who went from Northwest Florida to Oregon and ended up going in the first round uh, out of the, uh, after his time with the ducks. So this is a basketball program that sent some players to a high level basketball in the past. Tay Waller, 
of course, uh, played at Okaloosa Walton Community College before transferring to Auburn about 15 years ago. So, you know, on top of the fact that it's my hometown and a school I went to uh, for a, a brief period of time uh, before uh, uh, washing ashore at Auburn, it's uh, it's it's very uh, it's very cool to see a guy that seems like he fills a need for for this Auburn team. I mean, he oh, yeah. was a big t- big time scorer all season long for the Raiders. You know, going back to his time, he was the he was the leading scorer for San Diego State in his final game as an Aztec. He was a leading scorer for San Diego State in the NCAA tournament against Creighton uh, before uh, having to, uh, to to move on due to some off the court academic yeah i think yeah no i think his coach was pretty blunt about the fact that it was academic in nature Mm -hmm. and so it seems like he's gone to northwest florida state he's gotten his ducks in a row auburn has seen enough to offer him a scholarship at a position of need i love that he's had 20 plus points a couple of three-pointers in the national championship game at the junior college level northwest florida state didn't win that game but chad baker mazara showed up in a really big moment for the Raiders this is a guy eager to get back to big time college basketball he's going to have that chance with Bruce Pearl Mountain West six man of the year uh at 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 uh at San Diego State also started his career at Duquesne uh and uh played uh played I think it was like in 19 games shooter I mean an absolute shooter you go back Duquesne shot let's see he shot 46 percent from deep at Duquesne he shot thirty nine point three percent from deep at uh, at San Diego State, and then forty six point nine percent from deep uh, at Northwest Florida State. Uh, this dude is a gunner, and this is not just a guy who just takes maybe one or two a game. Like he will shoot, um, not an extremely high volume, but a good enough volume that it is it is something that is in his locker. When you are able to shoot, you know, anywhere above forty percent for multiple seasons as a, as a basketball player at the post high school level. That is crazy. And there's so many and I'm writing about this on Monday. You can check out the story at the Observer. So many people this offseason wanted Auburn to reload their shooting because they they struggled from shooting from beyond the arc. Uh, Chad Baker Mazzara is exactly the type of player that that can get fans excited about the offense the shooting prowess that he brings to the table. He might be the oldest player on the team, too. I don't know for sure, but this is a guy who started his high school career or no, start, started his college career a year late because he went to prep school okay. after finishing. So he's high school class of 2019, according to the San Diego State bio that's still online right now, went to prep school for a year following uh, his high school graduation, then went to Duquesne class of 2020. He was a true freshman in 2020 uh, and, and played. We should, you know, it's not just the Mountain West is the, is the only place where he's played some big time. I mean, they got some good programs in the A-10. Uh, that, that aren't that aren't kidding around, especially in conference play. So he brings a lot to the table uh, from his uh, past experiences around the country, and I believe because of his uh, because of the COVID nineteen season, I believe that he has that extra year of eligibility from the year he played at Duquesne. The 2020-2021 season is the season that players can redeem down the line. That's the year the NCAA didn't want to punish anyone who sat out college basketball so I think Chad Baker Mazzara comes to Auburn with two seasons left even though he's already played three years of college basketball by the way class of 2019 Auburn has one player still left from the class of 2019 that is the Jalen Williams class so Jalen Williams same age as Jalen Williams also in that class for Auburn Devin Cambridge Stretch Agambola Alan Flanagan 
Javon Franklin, Turbo Jones, all of them have now departed the program. Also, Isaac Okoro is another 20, class of 2019 guy. So that's the kind of the age you're, you're working with here. And, and on one hand, I think it's awesome that you bring in guys with that kind of experience and, and that, that, that much, uh, you know, that, that have downloaded that much data over their college basketball careers. There, there was talk, and I'd like your thoughts on this, Justin. There was talk last year that some coaches were concerned about how much mileage some of the upperclassmen had in college basketball these days because the extra year of eligibility, the COVID year, has extended careers. So I think in the case of both Chad Baker-Mazzara and Jalen Williams, you hold your breath and hope for good health because they're this far advanced. But if they can stay healthy and if they can stay productive, feels like both of these guys, I mean, with with the amount of college basketball they played, it could really be an asset when they're on the floor. This team is built, I think, now – and we'll see what happens moving forward. It could not be done yet. You know, there could be could be another pair. Tyron Lawrence will be interested to see kind of how this affects Tyron Lawrence uh, move. Uh, if that's going to be, uh, I know Texas Tech's really involved. Memphis, um, yeah, Vanderbilt could, could try to bring him back. So is Auburn done yet? If not, we'll see. Um, but Janai Broom's got decisions to make. He, while we were recording this, he tweeted, decisions, 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 eyeball emoji. Uh, and everybody in the comments who's an Auburn fan is just begging him to come back. Um, but this team, I think the when you look at Aiden Holloway, Denver Jones, Chad Baker-Mazar, Chaney Johnson, and and you look at what they could bring back with Jalen Williams, um, you know, Janai Broom, uh, you know, Katie Johnson, Trey Donaldson. I mean that that group of players Auburn's bringing back this year. It's it's going to be interesting to see because like the football team, you're getting a group of guys who in Denver and and Cheney and Chad Baker Mazzara who are out to prove something. They're out to prove they can they can hang at this level and they can and they can be those kind of impact players right away. And in basketball, in basketball you see those jumps jump ups are usually more successful than they are in the football sphere. So, I mean, you can you can get those kind of players making those kind of moves. You got Aiden Holloway, who's now a composite five-star, and, you know, he's going to be the second highest-rated player Auburn's ever signed uh, behind only Jabari Smith. But it is a run-and-gun built team, you know. this the, the guys Auburn has brought in so far, each of them, have had stretches of their career, if not their entire career, where they have been great three-point shooters. Guys in transition, our buddy Henry Patton over at Rivals pointing out that at San Diego State, Chad Baker-Mazzara averaged 1.4 points per possession in transition. That was 93rd percentile in college basketball. Jenny Johnson has got a great transition game to him. Denver Jones does as well. Obviously, Aiden Holloway's got the build and the, and the makeup to, to do that as well. This team could kind of go back to more of the Bruce Pearl roots this year. You could tell this team, and, and you know, would have loved to have gotten a guy like Matthew Cleveland. Would have loved to get in, get some of these guys that are higher name talents. These these transfers from these bigger name schools. Obviously, you would have loved to sign multiple guys in this class with Aiden Holloway. Sure, absolutely. But this team, I think, has the potential to go back offensively to be more of what we've seen out of Bruce. Now, Bruce has done a good job the last few years of 
shifting and adapting his offense to his talent. But you look at the makeup of this team right now, they are built to run and gun more. And so talent-wise, it's going to be very interesting to see how they stack up with the rest of the league. But I think stylistically, this is going to be a brand of basketball that Auburn fans are going to be really excited to see again. Might not be a team that cuts down the nets or goes to the, goes to the Final Four or you know, anything like that. Uh, those are two, two very, very difficult things to do, and the league has continued to get better and better. But I think it's going to be – I think they're going to be a fun basketball team to watch. Not to say that they didn't have some fun moments last season, but, like, it's just style-wise, this, this seems to be more in line with what we saw in the earlier days of the good run that Auburn has had under Bruce Pearl. It's so hard to play the kind of defense Bruce Pearl wants to see all game long and play at a really high tempo offensively. It's really physically taxing, which is why the depth is crucial. Kind of getting back to a point we were making earlier about football, it's just really hard to sustain that pace. Auburn going into a season with a rotation that might be 10 deep, I mean, if, if they've got 10 players, maybe 11, depending on how much Lior sees the floor like that, that's that's a recipe for Auburn to be able to not just press and fight defensively the way Bruce Pearl expects them to, but also get up and down the floor, especially if you've got more than one player you feel good about at point guard. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if they yeah. feel if they feel like they can they can have Aiden and Trey. Uh, Bruce, you know, Bruce said the other day it's going to be a good competition with those guys, and they both can play off ball. Right. I mean, I, I think if there's if there's a chance they're both playing a lot of minutes, the possibility for this team to be faster than the last few teams and and more more possessions per game than the last few seasons of Auburn basketball, I think that's certainly in play. And I want to be very careful here because I'm not saying this team's not going to be talented. I mean, Aiden Holloway, like I said, Aiden Holloway is one of the one of the you know highest rated players this program has ever gotten Jalen Williams if he indeed is back I mean that's a former four-star who will be playing his fifth year of college basketball there's real talent on this team I Denver Jones is a type of type of player that I think can play anywhere um so hear me say that I don't think this team is not going to be super down but when you look at like the year with Jabari and Walker well those were two former five-star guys guys that were first round NBA talents I don't know if Auburn's got that right, like multiple first-round players on, on this team, but you go back to when they won that first SEC title under Bruce and then they went to the Final Four next year. It's it's We talk about underdog tactics in football, something that Hugh Freeze is very familiar with, with the way he does. Like, if you're not going to be the best at on every single possession on offense and defense, if you can hit – threes and you can play fast and you can do those type of stuff because stylistically you can do that like last year Auburn was not a team offensively that was efficient enough to play that fast style so they slowed it down leaned on their defense and won games that way this one when you play the Kentuckys and the Arkansas and maybe even the Alabamas and and, and, and others in the SEC that are elite pro, you know filled with elite prospects and elite players can you beat them with this style and I think that it's it could look more like the earlier days that 17-18 season is is maybe the strongest argument for the importance of depth right because that was a team that was a team that suddenly lost Austin Wiley for the year and D'Angelo Purifoy for basically were they both for the entire year that that season I mean I I forget Mm -hmm. how much Purifoy actually played in 17-18 but you suddenly lose 
two of your top front court options before the season. And up until the McLemore injury, that team was playing as well as oh, yeah. everyone but the absolute best teams in college basketball. So like that that really was and it was and largely it was because they could keep that pace alive by going to the bench and not overtaxing anyone. And depending on what ends up happening with this team, I'm like a lot of fans with a you know, I'm I'm nervous about the Janai Broom situation. Sure. You know, and that's it whatever's best for him is best for him but you're scrambling a little bit to replace his rim production at this stage in the game if you're Auburn. But I, I think it's a promising roster. I mean, there, there's in a league that should be highly competitive, I'm optimistic about this team's chances of competing. I'll tell you this that has really stood out to me. Say Jani Broom comes back for another year at Auburn. I think watching him at the G League camp in the Combine – and, and people who are there and, and people who know a lot, a lot more about basketball and, and the draft process, and I, they seem to think that they he has benefited from the spacing and the pace that you commonly see at the pro game. And if you look at an Auburn team that should be able to space the floor and play play at a higher pace this year, like Janai can do it. I, like I said, Janai is not an elite athlete, like testing-wise. Janai is not a guy that you would consider like a pure rim runner. He is a guy that's got some of that to his game. And he's a really good in, inside presence scorer, you know, rebounder, rim protector. But late last season, he he stepped out from beyond the arc and, and hit, hit it. And he's he's a guy that you can make some plays in transition for you. So, like, this style, even though you're bringing back – you could be bringing back a more traditional big man in um, – Jani Bremen also like Dylan Carwell is a more traditional big man on an offensive on the offensive uh, side of the floor that that fits him that fits him and we know Jalen Williams the six eight point guard <laughs> like we know Jalen Williams is comfortable playing in transition playing loose playing face up and all that and that I mean the dream is for a a post to be able to hit long shots because it opens oh, yeah. everything else up. In, Changes in the everything. Pearl offense and and when I mean there was during Walker season, throughout Chuma's Auburn career, even I mean even Austin right started to launch some shots you know towards the towards the tail end there. So I mean that's a th- that is a uh, the development of Janai Broom's jump shot and mm-hmm. and whether or not he can become a threat on the perimeter offensively if he decides to play another year of college basketball. You're right. That's another wild card. Uh, for for this year's team, yeah, I, I just think this team, and and again, I wrote about it on Monday. I think this team, the pacing and the space and the three point shooting. I mean, you, go look at the numbers in that in that story. The three point shooting difference between the guys that Auburn's bringing in and what they have lost is pretty stark. And you know, Auburn Auburn can't just say, "Well, we're hitting more threes this year. They're going to be a better team just because they're hitting more threes. It's you know, basketball is a more complicated game than that. But that is an area where there is a ton of room of improvement. And so even if you don't have, you know, multiple first-rounders on this team, if even if you might not be, you know, there, there are going to be several games Auburn plays in this upcoming year where they're not going to be the better team talent-wise on the floor. But can you make up for it with the way you play and the way you shoot? They could have that potential. And Chad Baker-Mazzara is the, is, the is the newest addition to that. By the way, Chad Baker-Mazzara, wanted to point this out. Um, according to the Auburn Media Guide, uh, he is – Let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 
believe I believe he is the thirteenth international player Auburn basketball has ever had, and the first from the Dominican Republic. So shout out to Chad Baker Mazzara, who's had he's gone all over the place. He's a guy who from the DR, he's played prep school, played in you know Decanes in Pittsburgh, he's at San Diego State. He's in Knoxville, Florida now. He's an Auburn. I mean, man's man's gone all over the place to 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 chase his dream. And had no shortage of suitors when the uh, junior college season ended either. I mean, he. I mean, he when, t- when when Auburn really put the put the pressure on Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky wanted him. You know, Kentucky was, made a move. A he, he'd one. either he'd either taken a visit to A and M or was about to, and then Kentucky had tweeted about Kentucky's interest uh, shortly before committing to Auburn. So this is a guy who. Yeah, I mean, folks were starting to take notice as the dust was settling in the transfer portal. I'm. I'm curious, Justin, this is a big week for the NBA draft deadline, right? We're coming up on about 10 days for the underclassmen who have eligibility remaining to drop out. You think we could see a flurry of activity and headlines as far as basketball players deciding to get out of the draft and either return to their schools or reopen their recruitment? This will be interesting. Uh, You've got... Until May 31st to pull out of the draft if you're an underclassman and decide to come back to school. So there's a lot of this. I mean, that's part of what Janai Brim's going through at the moment. So these next nine, ten days are going to be very busy. And then what happens in the aftermath is what can you do to kind of round out your roster? Chad Baker Mazzara gives Auburn, you know, if everybody comes back uh, that, that could come back from the draft, gives them, you know, too deep at every position, what they, what they were looking for. Um you know, Leor Berman, a guy that could get a scholarship this year, but we know he's more than just a walk-on. He is a guy that's gotten in the rotation in the past. You've got some depth there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they wanted to, if they end up taking another transfer for uh, if everyone comes back. So, big, big couple of weeks here for for Auburn basketball for sure, and uh, a lot of a lot of sitting around and waiting. I think they need to. I still think they need to streamline this calendar better um, and just get everything kind of in order, but. It is the way it is uh, the, at this point. The, the May 31st deadline is an NBA draft deadline, right? I don't even know if college mm-hmm. basketball yes. is, is the one deciding that one. The, uh, I guess Tyron Lawrence would be the big name. Like you, you mentioned him earlier, he, he would be the biggest name to watch for as far as players on Auburn's radar that are probably expected to drop out of the draft. But I know some people that are feeling better and better about Vanderbilt's position in the Tyron Lawrence sweepstakes if he decides uh, to play college basketball again next season. So we'll see how that one unfolds. But the addition of Chad Baker-Mazzara, you you wonder if it moves Auburn away from some of the other perimeter options that had been linked to the program earlier in the the offseason. So I think that'll do it, boys. Thank you for, uh, for listening. Oh, got one more thing. One more thing before we go. Long-time reader and listener, uh, Inner Circle member Auburn Elvis, wanted to bring this up. He had an email for us. He felt like this would be a good uh, a good closing argument. I, I'm interested to hear both of your opinions on this topic because I am, I'm kind of I'm iffy on it. He said, I just discovered something and I can't wait for the mailbag. Uh, it, might, it might be something you want to bring in for the, for the listeners. This seems like the kind of thing you guys would spend 15 minutes talking about on the show. Uh, my wife and I have been doing a lot of graduation celebrations recently, and we've discovered pretzel slider buns. Are you aware of such? Have you experienced mm-hmm. such? Gentlemen, yeah. the floor is yours. I, pretzel bun? I, I, as much as I like a soft pretzel, I've never been crazy about pretzel buns. I don't know why. It's a weird 
it's a weird thing for me. What what are, what are, what are your guys' opinion on the uh, on on the pretzel slider game, Dan? Fire All away. right, so so back in the back in the California era, uh, there were a couple of uh, German uh, pubs or you know ger- German German restaurants. Los Angeles has ethnic food of all flavors, and uh, yeah, I would get the occasional you know I'd get a, a, a sausage with a with a pretzel bun or a uh, a burger with a with a pretzel bun. Something I, I find that if the if the pretzel flavor is a little bit more subtle. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a nice that's a nice touch because I don't want it to overwhelm what's in the sandwich. Generally speaking, you don't want you don't want the the bread to be the star of the show in a sandwich. It it can be a an excellent supporting actor, a crucial supporting actor, a Philip Seymour Hoffman esque <laughs> supporting actor. Pretzel buns are Philip yeah, Seymour Hoffman. If it, at 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 their at their best, they can add they can have that kind of impact, right? It can be like. His performance in the master, but uh, but but no, I, I think if it's if it's overpowering, no thanks. Yeah, I'm all in on these. Uh, <laughs> I crank out the pretzel flavor, baby. Yeah, I, I need maybe the slider will be better because like the whole bun, the whole pretzel bun. I think that I can they can be loved. Like what you were saying, Dan. Like you want it to be kind of subtle, more subtle. Maybe the smaller version would be would be a better uh, a better hit for me. All right, so so I have a um, I have a question for for the two of you, and it's it's it started in a conversation that Auburn has launched a couple of I I noticed that Auburn has launched a couple of popular sort of regional fast food uh, franchises. You know, there there are several that that sort of date back. The, the the first location was Auburn. Do you have a favorite? And it doesn't have to be an Auburn one. Do either of you guys have favorite fast food restaurants that are only available in a certain part of the country, a regional sort of favorite fast food restaurant. Is there, is there anything that, that comes to mind for, for either of you in that regard? I'm a Culver's fan. And I know that like we've brought, we've imported that one. Um, I'm a big Culver's fan. Uh, the, the, the pot roast sandwich at Culver's listen to me. It's one of the best fast food options you can get. It is not like deep fried. It is not super greasy. It is like a good sandwich to get through a drive-thru when you don't want a burger or a chicken sandwich or anything like that. I ride very hard for the Culver Spot Roast Sandwich. Um, I mean, so like, are, are you asking for like ones that are specifically like not here? Because well, either one, you know, if, if if we have them here in the southeast, you could shout them out. Or if there's something that's not here like, in I just, the southeast, I think In and Out's just fine. Yeah. It's like I will go to it, and it, and I and I usually go whenever I'm near one. Like it's it's solid, just for the novelty. So I I probably I'm biased on that because I lived very close to one, and it was the sure. only fast food. It was the only real fast food option like within walking distance. Mm-hmm. So you, you get after a couple of years, like that gets it. Be, it becomes more routine. I think if you order correctly, In and Out's fantastic. The fries you got to get them extra crispy, or else they're going to be limp. Yeah. And the sandwiches, I think you can't get the lettuce with the tomato because they're going to be real hot by the time. You get into the sandwich and you just get, you know, the you, the vegetables get sort of a, uh, you know, an unpleasant sort of texture to them when they've been cooked like that. But for the most part, yeah, love me some In-N-Out. Do you, are you familiar with Brahms? Do you I know about okay. It's a, like there's ahead. some in Arkansas, and I've seen them in Arkansas and Oklahoma, but I've never been to one. So Brahms is an, I believe it's an Oklahoma-based chain, and their gimmick is that uh, nothing they they won't open locations that are more than. 
it's like 300 or 400 miles from the farm from like the home base because they maximize freshness but okay. they, yeah they, they own they own the it's like vertical integration they own the cows they own the farms they they, they i guess they have their own dairy uh, production thing so they pretty much make everything in-house a lot of the restaurants have general stores attached to them that sell brahms products in all that sort of you know brahms milk brahms eggs brahms sort of thing. but it's yeah it's mostly texas oklahoma and arkansas i believe fayetteville has one they do. so if you oh, if you go if you make the trip to uh to fayetteville this season i would encourage you to uh to check out a brahms if you've never been I so I my hotel was right by one and I never went to it. So I'm interested. You know, like Auburn has imported like I'm a I'm a I'm a Waterburger fan and I'm glad Auburn has one of those now. I'm a I'm a big Wingstop guy. I'm glad Auburn has one of those now. Um, I love the Texas I, suppose, I love the Texas the Texasification of Auburn, especially with the Buckies now. I suppose cookout would also qualify as a, as regional yes. as regional fast food. You know, yes. that's a, that's I ate a lot of cookout when I was Carolina in when thing. I was in when I was in the Carolinas. I don't eat it as much now, um, but um, big fan of that. Painter, you have any? Uh, this won't mean as much to y'all because you still have it, but I miss Zaxby's. And uh, interesting, yeah, that one's one I enjoy. Um, this one, I don't think it really falls into the category of what we're talking about, but I've referenced it a few times, and since it's hard for me to get my hands on currently, once again, Waffle House. Waffle House, yeah. Uh, and then I will say that there's a bunch of options. This isn't really specific to one particular fast food place, but uh, where I am, the Italian beef is pretty good. So uh, there's, oh, yeah. there's a couple of places where you can get them, so I'm not really... It's not there's one a in particular I'm riding yeah. and dying there's a for. Chain. That's another another context clue yeah. for where parts unknown <laughs> there's is. There's a chain of there's a chain in the uh, in 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 like the Chicago area that's very famous for um for for that and I've never been to one um but like my friends from that area like r- really ride hard for it. I got I got to get to Chicago at some point and do that. You you mentioned Zaxby's painter, I, I believe, because I've heard different versions of the who stole what idea for chicken for for a chicken tender restaurant. My my understanding of the urban legend is that there used to be a Guthrie's in Athens, Georgia, and the guy who started raising canes worked at that Guthrie's in college before going on to start. Raising canes. That's the vert. Now I don't. I don't want to accuse anyone of theft. Chicken tenders have been around for a very long time. <laughs> my my understanding of the story is that the guy who started raising canes had worked at a Guthrie's before starting. And I guess uh, with his chicken, restaurant, chicken tender places, really the big debate isn't so much. Correct me if I'm wrong about the chicken tenders, but often people are really up in arms about the sauces, right? I mean, there may be some places that that people feel have the superior chicken tender, but I feel like when I get into conversations about chicken finger places, it usually devolves into an argument about the sauces. Yeah, it it devolves devolves into. I thought you were going to say a fight. It it starts. (laughs) It becomes a fist fight usually when I talk about chicken tenders with somebody. You're right. It does seem like it's largely sauce delivery. Am I wrong? I mean, like, is there some place that just has like the superior tender that I'm unaware of? I would Mm. say tender chick does in Auburn. I would say theirs is better than the no than bones the about it. All right, yeah. all right, Justin, get get ready. Put this one on the list. You've never been, never, never been attended chick. You gotta never. go. It's it's at it's at the it's at the chicken tender it's junction. At the, it's at yeah in Auburn. It's in the chicken <laughs> the chicken district. It's in the tender Auburn district. Has that, 
<laughs> I remember people uh, yeah. being super excited about. Um, oh, now I forget the name of it. it didn't it start down a mobile? Fusaklis. Yeah. So yeah. I was about I was about to make I was about to make that point. So, Tenichik, I ride hard for Tenichik. It's 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 local. It's um, you know, it's a tradition. We used to go there Sundays after church when I was a kid growing up. So I my grandfather loves it. Um, so I always have a I have an emotional attachment to the place. I think they make the best chicken finger in town. They use peanut oil, which I think is a, like Chick Fil A makes a big difference. It makes it more expensive, but it's a it's a it's a difference. Their fries, they do the straight fries instead of the crinkle cuts that you mostly get it at chicken finger places. I think that's the superior form of it. Additionally, additionally, um, it's Fusaklis cheaper than most of them. Also, their sauces are really good. They have the traditional. Chick, you know, chicken finger sauce you can get anywhere. By the way, it's really easy to make at home if you if you've ever done if you've ever done it. It's two parts mayonnaise, one part ketchup. Throw some uh, Worcestershire sauce in there. Uh, throw some black, a couple layers of black pepper, a little bit of garlic powder. You got it. Um, that's all it is. Uh, but they have a kung fu sauce, which is their like hot and spicy, like it's a spicy sweet and sour sauce. Very good, very good. And then uh, they make their own honey mustard from scratch, which I. Really, really enjoy. So, f- yes on Fusaklis, yes on Tenichek, yes on all of them. Basically, Guthrie's the the Auburn the Auburn OG. Why not? All right, that'll do it. We'll have more later this week. Premium Pod dropping on Thursday. We are currently in the works to schedule a guest for that, a special guest. So, if you're an observer subscriber, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, if we are able to land that guest, if not, we will have that guest sometime in the near future. Um, next week with Memorial Day weekend, keep an eye out on this space. We'll let you know what we do podcasting wise. Uh, still TBD on that one. Uh, it might be a situation where uh, we unlock a previous episode or something like that for for the holiday weekend. We'll see. We'll, we'll get. We'll see what the boys have to have to do and get done this weekend. Uh, but everybody enjoy the week. Uh, we got tons of stuff coming at the Observer on the written side. You can send your mailbag questions. Um, you can check out the roster trackers, all that good stuff. AuburnObserver.com. That's it for me, Painter. Final thoughts. Dan, what is the last song that you listened to? So I've um, I've been on a big 90s pop kick lately. And so the last song I listened to was what I believe to be maybe may may the greatest song ever recorded. And that would be... The Sign by Ace of Base was the last song I listened to, Painter. 